finally doing this uh, it is uh the scoreboard part uh, okay it is the first episode of the scoreboard pod Masha, we've actually been on this for a while i think i remember telling you about this sometimes i think late last year early this year but walk and the distance wouldn't allow us to but thanks to technology now uh we are we are live yeah definitely i mean it's something that we've looked forward to and you know since the whole radio thing you know moving to a different place and everything i mean that that synergy is not something they can easily replicate and thanks to technology like rightly said we can now replicate it again okay and uh talk about someone who can get my jokes and banters i think you are tough on that list so i think listeners expect <laughs> more <laughs> listeners expect uh more of that so just as a way of spicing things up let's just drive straight into what we'll be talking about on this podcast we'll have a lot of talking points we'll be cutting across all sports even sports you don't expect us to talk about uh, i'm sure not much of you or many of you follow the nfl but trust us on this podcast to do justice to the nfl and when i talk about nfl I, i'm talking about american football we we'll do a lot of nba we we'll do a lot of tennis and even football in nigeria wouldn't be left out and uh, talking about football in nigeria i think we are we'll have a lot of that to talk about especially on this episode we also talk about sports generally in nigeria the fallout of the olympics more drama than medals we're going to talk about that but let's quickly start with basketball the final of the olympics america started like they weren't going to do anything at these olympics even build up to the olympics wasn't the best for them but eventually see the way they won in style against france yeah and i think for the americans it's something that i feel like they are used to because you know if you check out the hashtag for this one the, the, the hashtag the gold habits you know when you're like <laughs> we always win it we always do it so i think that's something that they are kind of used to and this is not the first time actually that they are opening a tournament by losing the first game and then winning the rest of the and going on to win gold so it's something they are used to and when you consider the fact that the nba is actually the peak of basketball worldwide and then every player on your roster is an nba player as against other teams where some of them are probably playing in the euro league some of them play in the bbl some of them play in the cbl you know so there are different leagues but then when all of your players play in the nba it's very very difficult beats and i think that's one thing that colangelo is handing over to his successor because Colangelo was called in after the Athens, after the disaster in Athens, trust me. The performance in Athens was nowhere near what it ideally should be. Unless he brought on superstars onto the team because at the time, you know, most of the players were not really comfortable with the idea of going for the Olympics. They felt like it was demeaning to them, you know. Some having to play with their rivals, some feeling like the Olympics is second choice. Quite frankly, the Olympics... Yeah, it has always been like that for them. Even even there. even above the world you understand? cup. That's that's the way. Yeah, I mean, like I said, Olympics is second, the World Cup is third. So for them, it's not really something they bore themselves about. You know, whether they come first, they come second. But when it comes to the Olympics, they almost always win it, and that was what we saw against the French. The French actually have a good players, likes of Evan Fournier, Nicolas Batum, Rudy Gobert. You know, these are 
top top stars in the in the NBA. I mean, Rudy Gobert won his third Defensive Player of the Year award last month. So it's something that you know they have the quality, but then. French players are nowhere near as good as the United States, and that was what we saw. Well, uh, not a very good outing for Nigeria, the Day Tigers, and the Day Tigers doing, uh, you know, for the Day Tigers, the race uh, was going into uh, the Olympics, but unfortunately, they couldn't just replicate all of those, uh, all of that form in the Olympics. Uh, well, he who fights and runs away lives to fight another day. Uh, we'll have uh, the Afro baskets just somewhere around the corner. Let's hope they'll be able to do something. I wouldn't want us to just uh, delve into that right now. But still talking basketball, I think we need to talk about the drafts. I mean, the 2021 NBA draft, uh, it's come and gone now. And uh, talking about the draft, uh, we've got uh, the, the first three picks of the 2021 NBA looks like it went as planned with Sakida Cunningham going to the Detroit Pistons, Jalen Green going to Houston Rockets and Ivan Mobley are going to the Cleveland Cavaliers. But from the fourth pick, it looks like something just happened and you know, it, 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 more like chaos ensued, and that was it for uh, the draft night. And we have a couple of our Nigerian guys too, uh, who were picked in some other, in some. Yeah, Charles, Charles Bassey. Yeah, Charles yeah, Bassey. Charles Bassey will be playing for the Philadelphia 76ers. Funny thing is, I yeah. have a friend who played alongside Charles Bassey, not really alongside him, but then opposite Charles Bassey when Charles was in Nigeria. And yeah, in Lagos. He gave us tales about how Charles absolutely destroyed them, you know back then you know the guy was was monster and i'm glad that he has actually continued uh from the point to now and talking about drafts the, the draft is actually a, a, a rich draft class for me because yeah you rightly mentioned kid cunningham going to destroy pistons everyone's known that for this draft kid is the price everyone's known mm. that for a very long time now but then we all know the kind of quality that is in the draft you know jalen Suggs is in the draft Jalen Green is in the draft, Evan Mobley is in the draft. So it's just about teams picking and choosing what they want. And for Cade, Cade actually has a lot, I mean a lot, to offer teams. And for Detroit getting him, I think Detroit can now start to build something, you understand? Because last summer they got Jeremy Grant, but then he was like a one-man show, as good as, as he was, the team was absolute shambles. And now they're getting Cade. They are still not going to be as good, but then they have draft picks and they have plethora of things they can still do to make uh, their team better. And for the Houston Rockets, a lot of people thought that Houston Rockets would select Ivan Mobley, but then I feel they had Christian yeah. Wood, who is also a very, very good center. And if you're going to get Ivan Mobley, what, are, what, do you, what do you want to do with him? Because that was an issue at Golden State Warriors last season when they selected Wiseman ahead of Lamelo Ball because they felt... Lamelo Ball would not be able to have the ball in his hands as much as the likes of Steph on that team, you know, the likes of Clay on that team when he comes back, and that was something that, that we've seen. Yeah. But then, Wiseman has not really turned out to be the best uh, he could be. And you look at what uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers did; they selected Ivan Mobley, but I felt like they were under pressure to select him. They didn't really need him. They just signed Jared Allen to a five-year contract, hundred million dollars. So. You have a center, a powerhouse center that you have a backup, you have a player like Larry Nance, you have a player like Colin Sexton, you have a player like Darius Garland. You you should add a player like Jalen Soggs, you know, to, to that mix. And then they, they felt like Evan Mobley was a top three pick. Everyone knows Evan 
Mobley is a top three pick unless they want to use him as a power forward. But then we don't really know what he would look like playing in that kind of a role because yeah, Jared Allen can bang his bodies with likes of the Senders, the Yanis, the MBs of this world. But then Evan hmm. Mobley is just coming straight out of college. You don't expect him to be doing that. I mean, they will destroy him. We saw what uh Yanis did to DeAndre 18 in, in the NBA finals. 18 is a monster in his own right, but he's still a very, very young guy. He's just 22, number one pick in the in the 2018 draft, and three years on his playing in the finals against a, a, a monster and it's supposed literally eating life. So that's one thing I think most uh franchises are still scared of. You know, you don't want to just draft a big man and let him be. You need to have someone alongside him. So for the Cavs, let's hope that their use of Evan Mobley would actually be very, very wise. If you're getting someone like Evan Mobley, you better be sure he's not going to be banging bodies the likes of Yanis and Beat, Anthony Davis and, and players like that because they would literally eat uh, him up. But then let's hope that uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers are being wise with their pick of Evan Mobley in the uh, third pick, with the third pick of the 2021 NBA drafts. All right, let, let's talk about the Olympics, Marshall. Let's uh, look at it generally. Very chaotic Olympics it has been uh, following the postponement of last year and coming to this year, a lot of back and forth, a lot of issues. But finally, in just a matter of uh, hours, the Olympics will be over. Finally, Tokyo 2020 in the year 2021. Let me have the assessment. Uh, Did we have the competition as it should be? Did the athletes live up to the expectation? I'm talking about your general assessment now. And before we talk about Nigeria, because we'll have a whole lot to talk about as far as Nigeria is concerned in that one. Yeah, for, for the Tokyo 2020, I think some people will find this surprising, but it was a good tournament or star field like previous olympics or maybe we didn't see so many things happen or tournaments like because we didn't really have a lot of fans we didn't have a lot of people who gives the olympics that feel you know when everything just feels so hollow and then we're looking back at a year and we really cannot place that one spectacular i mean we all remember where we were in 2008 when we saw Usain Bolt literally smash records apart and we saw the birth of yeah. the new fastest man you know he did it for the 100 meters did it for the 200 meters did it for the four by ones and then we got to uh 2012 in london everyone was expecting everyone was hyped up and then we saw what the uh jamaican four by one team did we saw what Usain Bolt and uh, johan blake did in the 200 meters and then getting yeah. to rio we saw what happened when everyone was wondering with Justin Gatlin because Justin Gatlin had dominated the whole of the Summer League or the whole of the Diamond League ahead in his career and everyone was expecting that it would be a whitewash he would really dominate in in Rio but then this symbol came up and said he would not be denied you know winning the 100 meters the 200 meters the four by ones you know so that was kind of what we were expecting coming into into Tokyo so because of the postponement, because of the pandemic, several things have changed. Several factors have come into play. Athletes who you didn't expect to come yeah, out have yeah. emerged. Athletes who you didn't expect to break records have broken records. And before the tournament, I was talking about a, a guy, a swimmer, Caleb Dressel. And Caleb Dressel came into Tokyo. He was not, not really unknown, 
but relatively to the rest of the world he was relatively undone yeah that big of a name and then he ended the tournament with five goals broke world records in everything because i was telling people caleb dressel is someone who could become the next michael phelps only that hmm. he would be holding michael phelps records why we remember michael phelps is because every time there's an olympic event there's a swimming who is winning it's almost always michael phelps michael so phelps the name just michael phelps yeah. yeah a household name so the name yeah the name became synonymous with swimming you know anyone is swimming they ask you are you michael phelps you know so but for the next generation or the coming generation who would not know about michael phelps or who would not have the pleasure of watching him at least they will know they will have the pleasure of watching Caleb Dressel and I think he's really someone who could go on break a lot of records and in the uh, athletics it feels it feels like a culture shock for, for the rest of the world because we are so used to seeing Jamaica dominate the men's athletics yeah. the men's athletics so when we're seeing only the women do it it feels so surreal like we're living in this other world so it's it's always surprising whenever we get to these events and we don't see the jamaicans do something because like i said when you're used to something happening whenever it doesn't happen it feels like a cultural shock and that's what we're seeing with with the jamaicans because ideally for jamaica it's always they own the gold when it comes to the athletics the 100 meters the 200 the four by ones for the men for the women so that's almost like you know the way we see uh, long distance races for the Eastern Africans, the Kenyans, Africans, the Ethiopians. Yeah. yeah, that's the way a lot of people see the shorter distance, the sprint races now for uh, the Jamaicans. So it's, it all, it felt very different and like a kind of culture shock for me at least when I witnessed the Olympics and then the men's race, there was really nothing about yeah. the Jamaicans. Yeah. But you have to give credit. I mean, to we, had, we, we had an Italian emerging, emerging as the winner of that one. It feels yeah. it feels surreal to actually see a European yeah. win win the yeah uh, I, I I did I did races. a bit I did a bit of background check on that guy he has American roots so on yeah. the long run you wouldn't be surprised <laughs> I think that's what comes with being on uh, one of the uh, best teams because for for the Americans I think that's one thing I don't want to say Americans now let's let me let me say North uh, North Americans they have that uh, playing well for them you know where they have this abundance of facilities and then they know the best methods to to get their athletes to get to peak level and i was actually reading something funny earlier today about um Amanda about jacobs and how there's been this probe about his team uh, his nutritionist and how his bodybuilding has been shady and stuff like that but it's all just uh, water of a dog's back because i think for jacobs this is something that he probably did not expect but then if you had watched hit the previous day you'd realize how fast uh, he was and that was i was really not surprised but i think one man that disappointed me uh, in the event was andre de Grasse of canada okay well, let's uh, talk about the organization for the olympics i mean a lot of rules going into the olympics for the athletes the not using face masks you've been deported this and that the if you are done with your event or if you are out of your event you should leave 
plan in about two to three days and a whole lot of other measures because build up to the Olympics, we started having cases, I mean, surging cases of COVID-19 right there in Tokyo, Japan. And the organizers were turned in between continuing with the games with children's measures or just suspending it or not even holding it at all, but they had to hold it because it was postponed from last year. So let's talk about the Olympic Games in the face of a pandemic, no fans, nothing. Although we're still able to see our fans here and there. I watched some couple of uh, uh, weightlifting events and I was able to see fans, some boxing events you'd see uh, guys there and there volleyball beach volleyball and all of that you see fans there and there but for the major events the athletics the football no fans at all let's talk about that as far as the olympics is concerned yeah i feel i feel like for tokyo this this came as at the worst time possible because i mean nobody wants to be the one that hosts the dead olympics or the olympics that nobody remembers and like i said earlier you know you go through the timeline of almost all of the major olympics there's almost always something that it gets remembered for i mean 92 yeah. was the the dream team in barcelona 96 was at least for nigerians it was the gold you know 2000 was the one that was in athens of course in greece yeah. 2000, uh, greece. 2004 sorry was one in athens 2000 was the one in sydney 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 almost 2000 yeah, Sydney 2000 was the one in Sydney. So almost always you find that these events have this kind of historical feel to it. Either there's a record being broken or there's a record being set or something great is happening. And like I said, a lot of good things happened in Tokyo. But because the fans were not there, it feels like an afterthought. Just like uh, regular watchers of sports would, would understand. I mean, for those who followed the NBA season in 2020 after the pandemic, you know, where it had to be constructed in a bubble and finished in a bubble yeah. and yeah. then there were no fans and everyone there was fans. just you know family members about 20 or 30 at games you know the, the kind of screams you'd be used to hearing or those who watched uh champions league final of 2020 you know it was just a kind of surreal yeah. thing you know because the sport had to go on. A lot of money had been invested. Even, even when football really returned, it felt, it felt like when football returned and uh, we had to just get used to fans not in the stands. Yeah, and I remember asking a question it. then. I remember asking a question then that would playing behind closed doors still be punishment going forward, especially with what this pandemic has taught us. Yeah, exactly. You know, because it's almost like a, a default setting now most people get used to yeah. it and yeah of course some would argue that the idea behind playing uh, the idea behind playing behind closed doors is for uh, <laughs> the uh, is for the shortage of revenue which we have to be truthful to ourselves and point out that yeah it was a big loss this this year that's why we have seen a lot of clubs suffering financially you know from the shortage of the revenue but the, the, the players themselves, I feel like they got used to playing behind closed doors that they now, towards the end or towards the midway point of the seasons or after they returned, it became kind of the same. You know, we started to see a regression back to the main. We were playing the way they usually play because they now felt so used to it. And that's why I said, yeah. you know, these Olympics might be remembered for two things. One was the silence. And then secondly, that it was a lot of money that had gone down and it, it could not be postponed any further. If you're going to postpone it, where were you going to postpone it to? Would it be winter 
would it be 2021 uh sorry would it be 2022 you know so there were mm. so many things behind the scenes but that's why i think you know most of these events are held every four years imagine a yeah. scenario where it was to be held every two years every two years that would, that, that, that that. would have been very disastrous exactly because you would have to host one this year put all of your efforts all of your energy into it this year and then next year you're carrying up another one again you understand so that's why yeah, yeah you know when i hear things about you know these kind of major events should really be every four years you know three years feels like a bit of a stretch and then four years feels just about perfect i guess maybe because we're used to it and we don't like change but that's that's kind of what the ideal is now the next one will be held in paris in 2024 and we kind of have this feeling that by then the whole world would have normalized we can get back to to enjoying everything again but imagine if there was one that was to be held in 2022 how would the world look yeah. like how would the kind of mm. pressure look like because some would have insisted we just hold it in 2020 you know the pandemic and everything nobody cares but unfortunately for those people it's not going to happen because i feel the, the best way is just to continue to do this way and for for tokyo this would have been a big loss for them because the kind of money they've invested in hosting the event is definitely yeah something yeah I, I i i was going to talk about the, the business side of things i remember uh watching a documentary about how most olympics organizers or hosts don't even get to make as much money from organizing the games despite having tourists all across the world to come see the games despite having fans who would purchase tickets they still don't make enough money i remember brazil made a whole lot of loss by hosting the rio 2016 olympics and now with tokyo investing a lot because if you see all of the facilities for the games top-notch just by nursing them you'd see that those facilities are top-notch now imagine investing a lot into all of these well we don't want to shy away from the fact that there are sponsors here and there but at the same time i mean it must have cost the government of japan a whole lot of money now where did they go from here talking the business side of things well i think for tokyo this would have been uh, a blessing and then a course because that's what comes with hosting major sporting events just like you said about a documentary i think i watched some years back talking about how cities that host the super bowl don't really end up making any profit because of the kind of financial commitments you have to make security to ensuring that your city is standard to ensuring a lot of things so it's not hospitality and everything but down the line down the line i feel it's a kind of let's show our city to the world and that's why we've seen a lot of um middle east owners now you know but, but, but Masha, if, if people if people around here want to talk about reasons for hosting events they will tell you it is because of the uh, the untapped resources that is there to tap for them the money that is there to make for the locals but on the long run as much as the locals are making money in on the grand scheme of things the organizers are not making anything they are running at a loss yeah that's why most times we don't see private bodies host olympics we see governments <laughs> do it because governments are used to running at losses every year but i feel it's it's a long-term thing because just the way it was for uh barcelona in 1992 
after the Olympics, there were a lot more visits to Barcelona. There were a lot more people who wanted to see what the city was like. And it's something that has been on now for, for a very long time, where you see a lot of people pour into a venue after a major event or after a major tournament because they wanted to ju- they want to just be in those same cities feel those same feels you know have and breathe that same air so it's something that is not uh, going to be a short-term project it's a long-term project but about the here and the now it's a lot of money down the drain for the ioc themselves for the government that organizes it and of course for the local organizing committee because you can't have this kind of thing without putting immense amount of resources in it and yeah you'd say a lot of money would come in from sponsors like you already said from uh people who would be coming into tokyo for that time but then in tokyo there were no fans that's firstly no, no fans. and secondly most of these uh uh equipments that that were being built for the for the games are not going to be in use down the line especially if the country is not sports inclined and then you can't just allocate them to, to use that's what we've seen in a lot of african countries that host afcon or that host all african games you know subsequently because of one the population and then because of the location of these events because most times when you're building something totally new it's not always going to be economical you're going to have to build in a place that has little to know uh commutes because you won't want to move a lot of people away from one place just for a, a one year event or for a one month or two weeks event so that's what comes with that's what comes with it but then the hope is that long term it would be a a breeding ground for athletes that a lot of people would be drawn to the place but then the the government has to always weigh that cost is it worth it now Will be worth it in 10 years if they feel like it will not be worth it now but to be worth it in 10 years i mean they take the push but if they feel like it won't be worth it now and that in 10 years it still won't be worth it they won't take that risk and that's why i think a lot of people don't really understand the the sports game because uh-huh. if you're hosting a major event you factor a lot of things into it people just call and say okay let this country host this world cup and then people start bringing forth different reasons but they don't think about yeah. subsequently what is the goal i mean one of the reasons why usa 94 was being held was because the world wanted to push that fifa now they wanted to push football in the united states and they feel like if they don't do it there is no way to garner interest across the world and that was why before then they had to found mls they had to bring players in that's why we saw the likes of pele play with the New York Cosmos, the likes of Franz Beckenbauer play with the New York Cosmos because for them it was not about the money, it was about the long-term project. FIFA really wanted to have football in the United States. We know the kind of money that the US generates yearly yeah. when yeah. it comes to sports. So if FIFA were willing to take that short-term loss just to ensure that the game is deeply embedded in the States, they were willing to do it. And that's why we're still saying it again that in 20, uh, 2022 is going to Qatar. He's, yeah. he's going to Qatar in 2022, and Qatar looks like a place where <laughs> there's next to nothing as far as football is concerned. You understand? And that's why we're seeing more players go there to finish their careers. That's why we're seeing more yeah. managers go there to try their hands, you know, Javi yeah. outside. And you can see that slowly but surely, the quality of football in Qatar is increasing because outside got to the uh, finals of the Club World Cup last year, unless I'm wrong. So it's something that, you know, 
when when some of these things are done they feel like it's a one-off thing but then the government themselves have to think about the long term what would this do to us and if you've been following doha for a while that's the capital of qatar now you know that qatar, yeah. they've been hosting a lot of uh, sporting events because they want to yeah. draw their yeah. attention, the attention of the global world to qatar and don't be surprised when you see that qatar or doha is hosting uh, the olympics it would happen very soon well uh, as much as qatar is doing that i think uh, saudi arabia too they are also trying their best uh, they are attracting as much as they can the biggest boxing bouts in the world right now let's see yeah. how far they'll be able to do that let's see if they'll be able to do that to the point of probably just hosting the world cup or maybe who says we can have a game in Riyadh? so anything can happen <laughs> and, <laughs> and as for those who are hosting the games well if it is not for the sake of the money let's talk about the monuments you can say okay this is very divided which lost at the olympics <laughs> yeah. yes okay my big historical monuments but i, I bet he, I, that's not the major purpose uh, why the organizers are putting a whole lot of money into the games so it is not a good site where you put in a lot of money to host the olympics and at the end of the day you don't get as much but like you said and that's why it is governments that are involved and not individuals. Let's talk about that disastrous campaign Nigeria had at the Olympics. Doping scandals there and there. We had the, the, the issue of protests, public outrage, termination of deals, disqualifications. I mean, the wash and wear of, uh, I mean, yeah, the, the wash and wear scandal. Yeah. And, and at the end of the day, we had just one silver and uh, one bronze to show for it. Pasha, let me just have your general overview before we just delve into the various sectors one after the other. Yeah, for, for Team Nigeria, it's, it was a disastrous showing, but I'm surprised that we are surprised because we had the same issue in Rio. <laughs> Honestly, we had, we had the same issue in Rio where it was even... But it, uh, it wasn't this messy. I think it was just about yeah, the, it, it was it just was, about the, the, the football team yeah you know the thing about the thing about it is that in this part of the world if it's not about football it doesn't really gain as much attention that was why that the one in rio was kind of more pronounced but she was, i would not be surprised if i found out if we found out that there were similar issues in 2012 or 2016 with other members of the athletics team or other members of team nigeria that was not really broadcast around the world because social media was not really that big of a protest ground back then but because of what we've seen, ideally, ideally, heads will roll. People should lose their jobs because this is not something that should be condoned. This is not something that should be held for, for, for a while at all. Because you look at what Team Nigeria has done. Granted, they had one silver, one bronze. And even if they went there, had no medals at all, but then they were able to perform, they could. And then the issue was not because the government failed them or the government had things to do with them but because of their own underperformance we would understand that they were the ones yeah. who underperformed and not the government but this was something that was obviously obviously from the government you know the issue with the uh, sportswear giants you sign a deal with the sportswear giants and then you refuse to wear their kids you go for a major event like the olympics olympics is the is the world cup for for, for athletics you understand? Yeah. So going for, for other sports, let's just say for other sports. And then, 
yeah for, for for other sports you're going to that kind of a major event and then you're allocating jerseys to players you know you have one, one jersey per, per player wrong i mean so so many things were wrong with, with the organization i feel like the uh, team nigeria's ioc really needs to be to be handed down because it's not something that has been very very good at all and i feel that's why we're seeing a lot of Ogunode representing Qatar, it's, it's it's the byproduct of what we're seeing because ideally, if everything was in place and then the the home nation was something to be proud about, I don't think we'll be seeing Nigerian athletes, proud Nigerian athletes, represent other nations because if everything was working well, there would be no need for that to happen. Well, let's briefly just uh, stop at uh, what you mentioned about Nigerians representing other countries. Ogunode, like you rightly pointed out, has been representing Qatar since like forever. And backstory, Ogunode is from Okakoko in Ondo State, Nigeria. It's from Okakoko. As a matter of fact, yeah, I have a friend who once raced alongside Ogunode this my friend went on to get a gold medal at nigeria university games in 100 meters there, there was no way he could just continue although he had injuries here and there but if it was a system where things worked this guy would at least still further and just focus on his sporting career but these guys see countries that really treasure them and they just naturalize and become citizens of that country look at bahrain you'd see a lot of nigerians in bahrain go to us go to portugal we are hearing stories that odunayadekoroye might not even be competing for nigeria yeah. again and a whole lot of other things as far as that is concerned so if you look at it from top to bottom it's still the fault of the government marshall yes and i mean it's something that we've known for for a very long time and it's something that would continue to happen until we get our acts right because for nigeria and nigerians the dream of everyone is to live you understand so when when the dream of the average citizen is to leave the country it says a lot about the state of that country how much more talented athletes who would get that's a nigerian dream yeah you know the nigerian dream is to leave nigeria you know so how much more athletes who will get paid a lot of money who would get scholarships who would get a lot of promises from another government if they were to switch up and, and represent that country so that's a problem nigeria has even, even if it's very, for the citizenship alone you understand so there are so many things that are wrong with the nation and it's making it very very difficult for for athletes to even think about 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 representing nigeria well let's talk about the athletes and uh, the athletes that were disqualified for the doping issue for not going through the normal tests they should have gone through prior the pre-competition tests this definitely is still down to the athletics federation of nigeria although that story says these guys were not readily available to be tested that they gave addresses that were not accessible uh, for the those that were meant to test them just before the games well i feel ignorance is not anybody in the law courts as the reason why we are breaking a law 
But unfortunately, 10 of our athletes were disqualified. And the best thing the Ministry of Youth and Sports came out with was that all of those athletes that were disqualified were alternate athletes, making those athletes feel less of themselves. Yeah, unfortunately, and it's something that I think we've seen. It's something that Nigeria would always do to its athletes. It's something that Nigeria would continue to do and would probably still even do because when you have a team of athletes who have trained long hours, worked long nights, and then they are turning around to get the blame, fine, we don't understand what the full picture is because right now we're only believing what uh, the AFN is having to tell us that they were unavailable. But I mean, that's the work of the AFN. I mean, if you have an athlete on your books who is going to represent you, the person has to submit his test. And if he doesn't submit the test and still knows that the person is going to represent Nigeria, then there's no way that would work. Because if they knew these rules beforehand and they had tested it personally and checked everyone's papers, checked everyone's tests and found out that there was something wrong, then definitely those players would not represent the country. But if those players did not have them and you took them aboard, then you have to bear the blame, you have to take the brunt for whatever it is they have done. Because if players know that if you submit a, a fake a test or if you have not carried out your test, that you would not travel with the team to wherever the Olympics is being held, no player would hide, no player would run away, no player would stay in the dungeon or hide in the doldrums. I mean, that's what your own duty as at the sports federation or as the sports minister is. So I feel the, the excuses are not tenable, but then it is what it has happened. And down the line, I think athletes will be more, they, they will be forced to have to fend for themselves now, quote unquote, because when you know that the government would not come through for you, if there's anything that needs to be done, anything you have to do that yourself, anything, you have to do yourself. Or because just push they, them to do it. Yeah, I'll just push let them, them do it. Yeah. Because I know they are still the one who is going to have to suffer. I mean, yeah. the sport ministry is going to come up with a new set of athletes for next for the next Olympic Games. For the athletes who misses out on this year's Olympic Games will be four years or three years older by the time the next games come around and his own career yeah. will probably even be the worst for it. Most definitely. And it's rather sad that our biggest, better prospects, maybe personally though, going into the Olympics, had to crash out in the first round of our bouts. I'm talking about Odonaya Dekoroye, uh, who couldn't get the better of our opponents in her first round bout in the wrestling event. So sad for her. Uh, something uh, she couldn't get uh, when she went to Rio in 2016 for the Olympics. Again, Tokyo 2020. Uh, she couldn't also lay her hands on it. But I hope she keeps her head up because uh, she still has a very long way to go. And uh, for the wrestling team generally, I've been saying this to everybody that cares to listen, that uh, the Nigeria Wrestling Federation looks like the best run federation as far as I'm concerned, even better run than the Nigeria Football Federation. Well, I am saying this unapologetically uh, because when you look at the way uh, they've been doing their stuff, look at the president of the Nigeria State Federation, Honorable Daniel Egali, been there, done that for Canada. He won the gold for Canada a few days after he became a Canadian. And uh, uh, he, he's come to Nigeria more like a round peg in a round hole, and he's been doing it the way it ought to be done, not just doing it the way it ought to be done, 
is being this kind of role model figure to the wrestlers and you know you can look up to the, the, the president of your federation telling you i've done this i've won this he's won it at the biggest stage so he has the bragging rights he can tell the wrestlers that okay you've you, you can do it just like the way i've done it but i'm not sure we can replicate this in any of our sports again apart from wrestling so which is also sad Masha. well like you rightly said it's sad but then the question is how many of our athletes are willing to step in those kind of shoes and even those that are willing how many of them are able daniel gali like you said is a canadian he has held positions and this is another proof of the quality that he has and the proof that he understands his sports last i checked I don't know how Sunday Diary performed in into house sports, but I am very, very sure he's not representing Nigeria in the Olympics. You can you can look across many of the federations we have in Nigeria. I don't know the number of times uh Amajipene played football when he was in secondary school or university, but he did not represent Nigeria at any major tournament. So that's something that we've seen time and again where we don't have seasoned administrators who understand the sports in those roles and countries where they do well it's one of two things either they have people who understand the sport as the as the leaders or they have them as advisors we have neither but we hope to perform miracles even the and even the so-called advisors they have these guys have been reduced to doing next to nothing there is a certain you know, celebrated ex-athlete in this country that i met at one event with a sports minister I, I I was shaking my head at at, at what she was reduced to doing for yeah. the sports minister. She was meant to be advising the sports minister, but Masha, I'm sad I'm telling you that this woman was reduced to being the servant of, of the sports minister. Well, she was probably advising him on his diet and not for the sports. <laughs> <laughs> you know, those are things, things, things that happen in Nigeria. You, you'd wonder whether we actually understand where we're going or where we're headed as, as a nation I, I i struggle to think that any nation could really be worse than what we're doing because whatever nation is worse than this really have got a lot of things on their hands because right now nigeria is in a very very sad state because the people who are employed as advisors they, they, they see them as doing being done a favor they don't see it as my job is to advise you and that's about it they see it like if i advise this person i can get something else in return you know i can get this else in return they don't see it like they're doing their job and more times than not we can be very very sure that even the kind of advices they will be given is not something that will be stuck to or followed by those those in power or those who are leading I, I, frank, I frankly don't think so. I, I actually struggle to think that the kind of advice someone like Ichioma Ajumwa or Emirio Nyali would give hmm. the chairman of the Athletics Federation of Nigeria, I think it would be extremely valuable. But when you reduce them to roles that are not necessary, or someone like Ishegondegwa, for instance, advising Amaji Pinik, or you know, in various other sports, ideas that they can give you know for for everything to work perfectly so i don't know where exactly we have got it wrong or, or we are seeing that the athletic federation and the ministry of sports is not seen but it's obvious where they have got it wrong 
Well, Marshall can go on and on about all of this, uh, but uh, I just want us to uh, stop about, <laughs> I mean, stop on the Olympics right now. We have to talk about Nigerian football. I just touched on it a bit before we talk about uh, uh, the Lionel Messi situation as well as uh, what is happening to Romero Lukaku. Well, NPFL is over. Aqua United are champions. Coach Kennedy Baboye once again has shown why he's uh, one of uh, the it's one of the big guys when it comes uh, to coaching in Nigeria. Being there, done that for Plateau United, won the league for them, and uh, he's also done it for Aqua United, their first ever league title, and they did that in style. There was a time they went on beating for uh, almost 19 games in the league, and uh, uh, of course. That is unprecedented in the history of the Nigeria Professional Football League. You know when you are uh, battling to win the league, win all of your home games and pick maybe just one or two away games and a few draws here and there and you'll be fine. But uh, that was not the case for them. And uh, uh, they've eventually emerged the champions of the Nigeria Professional Football League. But more like uh, in recent times, apart from Eimba, the champions scores. They tend to give everything to emerge as champions, but it looks like that's like the biggest we'd hear from them in subsequent years. Well, for uh, Aqua United, congratulations to them. And for Kennedy Boboye, he's been doing a fantastic job for a very long time now. I don't think we really should be surprised by uh, what Coach Kennedy Boboye is doing over there at Aqua. But then for Aqua, it's been coming, honestly. I mean, we remember when we were talking about them in 2018 when they qualified for the CAF Confederations Cup. Remember when we were talking mm. about them going head-to-head -head with key clubs of good players, you know, getting yeah. uh, players like this Eva striker. I'm struggling to remember his name. Mfoudo, you know. Mfoudo, Mfoudo. Mfoudo, yeah. And having a lot of quality acquisitions in, in various positions. So I think it's been coming for them. And that's what happens when there's a concise plan for a way forward, you know, this is the quality of players you're getting now. In two years, this is what we expect. In three years, this is what we expect. In four years, this is what we expect. So, like I said, I'm not surprised by what they're doing, but I'm surprised that they are doing it this well because we rarely see a team do it this well when it comes to the NPFL. Very few times do we see teams really dominate and then take the whole league by the scruff of its hands. I mean, there was one time Plato United did it. And guess who he was under? It was Coach Kennedy Boboye. I mean, the following season that was shortened because of the election, a lot of people were tipping Plato United to win it again. You know, they started that season on fire, you know, four nil victory, five nil victory, three nil, you know. So it's something that we know they have the quality, it's something we know they can do. And for Aqua United, the big ask is firstly replicating this and then secondly putting a stamp on the continent. They really, really need to do that. All right, Marshall, quickly, let's talk about Lionel Messi. It's uh, what all football of us, what we've been saying that it should definitely happen one day. Messi will leave Barcelona. But not many saw it coming that it will happen in this kind of circumstances. Probably the events of last August would give you an inkling that something like this will happen but not even in this kind of circumstances. For someone who achieved that much for that club and for a player 
as valuable as Messi leaving the new camp for free. And for a player who we've seen that, okay, he won't play for any European club apart from Barcelona and is on the verge of signing for another European club. Since we're maybe Barca or PSG face off in the Champions League and Messi scores the winning goal in the second leg of the encounter at Snoop Camp. What happens? <laughs> La, if Barcelona and Paris Saint-Germain face in the Champions League, there won't be need for a winning goal in the second leg. Trust me. Trust me on that. Trust, trust me on that. Because the truth is, the gap between Paris Saint-Germain right now and Barcelona... If, and Barcelona. If this happens, if Messi leaves Barcelona for PSG, it's like night and day, you understand? Like 12 hours, daylight and night time. That's what it would be like. Because, and for Barca, it's been coming for a while. And Messi's case is a classic case of, I want to leave. You force me to stay. And I want to stay. You force me to leave. Can't I just have my peace? Hmm. Last summer, he wanted to stay. At, he wanted to leave Barcelona so badly. Leave. He, he handed down a transfer request. He did everything. Bartomeu said no. He forced him to stay. And then this summer comes around and it's like, okay, I've accepted my fate, resigned everything, you're ready to sign a new contract, accept an increment of wages by 50 by 40 percent. And then they force him to leave. So it's it's been coming for a while. They've been mismanaging their funds, they've been mismanaging a lot of deals since since 2014 till now. The kind of money they've spent on on transfer i think i was reading something earlier this morning and i think i was saying something along the lines of 555 million euros is the net transfer spent so they've spent 555 million more than they've brought in and to put that into context they made 222 million for selling neymar so it's very very crazy to think about the fact that they've actually spent close to a billion on players and they are still in this kind of a dead state. Paris and Germain have not, I'm not sure they spent up to a billion on their players. Look at their squad. Most of us see fine, they spent a billion, but it's showing in their squad, it's showing in the quality of yeah. players they have. It's showing in yeah. everything, but for Barcelona, you can't even point to these are the quality players they have in all positions. You can't even say they're going to fight for something. Look at the, the statement that I started with. There won't be a second leg. There won't be need for a second leg if Barcelona and Barcelona <laughs> are face off in the Champions League. And that's the truth. Barca are in a very, very poor state. And I feel COVID really did one thing. Yeah. It showed those clubs that were badly run, those clubs that were poorly run, those clubs that were okay, and those clubs that were oh. well run. Now you'd say some clubs are owned by billionaire owners, and that's why. They, they look like they are well run but the truth of the matter is for a club that is able to spend a billion in under a decade you don't need a billionaire owner anymore if you had a billionaire owner what would you do what what different thing would you do so for 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 barcelona it's obvious that they are poorly run it's obvious that they've been run by someone who is intent on destroying the club and it's obvious that there are so many things that are going wrong in the catalan empire messi's exit is the first of it and i feel like in the coming days we'll still see more of it now 
the funny thing about this whole deal is that right now Aguero, Memphis Depay yeah. are still not registered. I don't I don't even know whether they can leave or not because I think they can still play in the Champions League. I think they can still play in the Champions League, but they have not been registered for the La Liga because of La Liga's uh, salary cap rules. And for Barcelona, if they want to register 25 million extra on their uh, word of players on their salary books, they have to let go of 100 million. And that's aside Messi's money. So Messi has not even left. You need to still let go of 100 million. You know, when you look at kind of wages, yeah, 100 million more just to register 25 million. Uh, euros on, on your books and look at the kind of wages they are paying players Antoine Griezmann is earning £800,000 a week Frankie De Jong is earning £500,000 a week even if these players were to live elsewhere and take a pay cut they can go from 800 to 200 Yeah. I was speaking with a friend a few days back and we are talking about how Griezmann said he was willing to take a pay cut and earn 500k and I was like that's how they pay cuts how do you you're, take you're living, pay cut and end 500? Everest, you're living Mount Everest for you're living Mount Everest kind of money. You want to call it Mount Kilimanjaro kind of money, but I have Olumoro kind of money. How will I pay you? <laughs> so these are things that would not would not happen because which club right now would be willing to pay five hundred thousand for a player like Antoine Griezmann weekly? It's almost never going to happen, no matter how much money the club has Factoring in, uh, Factoring in what happened to him last season. What happened to him last season? What happened to him two seasons ago? He's not really shown that quality for an extended period. So, £500,000 a week or euros a week, that's that's way too much money. And that's not even... But the, the, God, the even God that did it for Gareth's bill, can't uh, the same <laughs> God do it uh, for them and Trent Griezmann, then Felipe Coutinho? Well, there has to be a club that has to take on those kind of wages and right now a lot of clubs are reeling from the pandemic they can't afford to do that and even if they were going to take even if players were going to take a cut Barca would still have to pay some of that wages with Real Madrid Real Madrid and and Spurs were splitting the wages by by half now that Spurs were able to pay and it was still comfortably the the highest earner on, on that team so that's something that you know you look at and you're very very sure that for a club like Barcelona, they cannot afford to have that happen. They cannot afford to have it happen to them. Now, would you put it down to Messi himself? For the past couple of years now, Messi has been earning nothing shy of 1 million euros per week. This guy got six contracts renewals under 10 years. Well, you'd say he's bringing a lot of money into the club, but at the same time, even Neymar, the most expensive player in the world, is not earning as much. Messi has paid his teams right at the same time. Looking at how much he earns, he deserves it. But it looks like uh, it is on the high side. The thing, the thing about the contract is that for Bartomeu, it was, it was a shock decision. And you can directly start to trace this to 2017 when Neymar left. Neymar left. Barca had 222 million euros lying fallow in their coffers without anything to do with it. They have they had no clue. Because first off, they were not ready for it. Secondly, they did not expect it. And thirdly, the, 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 the succession plan they had all of a sudden came crashing down. The ideal yeah. plan was that Messi would lead the team alongside Neymar and Suarez. Neymar. And then when Messi was starting to win, 
Neymar will become the star man. You know, when the person who you have planned everything so meticulously around decides to jump ship, what happens to your house of cards? You fall apart. And that was what happened to Barcelona. Now they had to replace Neymar. They spent 135 million euros on Osmani Dembele. They spent 100 and on that same summer, 2017. By 2018, January, they spent 160 million euros on Coutinho. On Coutinho. The next summer, they spent 120 million on Antoine Griezmann. Now they spent more, and team. they've effectively not even replaced him. <laughs> hold on, hold on. Now, for those that have not been counting, that's over 400 million euros, and you have still not replaced Neymar. It got to a point they wanted to pay PSG to sign Neymar to replace Neymar after spending over 400 million euros on players that were just not going to be anywhere near Neymar. There was no point in trying to replicate the whole MSN thing. There was no point in having a star trio. You can get a perfectly serviceable winger and reinforce other aspects or other uh, uh, positions on that team. At that point, the defense was sorely lacking because there was no quality in the defense. The midfield was already starting to fall apart because at that point Xavi had left. Iniesta yeah, was Iniesta. on his way out. That was his final season at, at Barcelona. And then there was really no one. They had to pay uh, uh, Shanghai SIPG 40 million to sign uh, Polino from, from China. And everyone was wondering why? Why, why sign Polino? But it's because they did not have a plan. They did not have an idea of what to do. The season before Neyman left was the season they. they they lost 4-0 to PSG. So it was obvious that team was not good. But because of the 6-1 comeback, everything fell off fine and good. And then the next round, they got eliminated by Juventus. Three goes to nothing. So that team was obviously poor. But because they had Messi, Suarez, Neymar, it was covering a lot of their messes. And that's what we're seeing now. That very same summer, Messi was handed the contract, a rather hefty one. Uh, 136 million euros per season, which was about... 555 million euros in all, which actually roughly boils out to about 3 million euros a week. Which, hmm. when you think about it, is not only mind boggling, but it's, it's, not enough, to, it's enough to, to make someone go mad. Trust me. Because when when you start to think about how that money has come in, yeah, some would argue that Messi deserved every, every penny of that contract. I mean, he gets paid a lot of money. But because it brings in a lot of money into the club. Yes, but that does not mean you spend all of your profits because the, the, the golden goose is still laying the golden eggs. No, at some point the golden goose is going to stop laying the golden eggs. And because they're used to eating the golden eggs, there will no longer be any eggs for you to eat. And that's what's going on with Barcelona right now. Trust me, when Messi eventually leaves and they have to renew their contracts, it's left sure. already. Let, let's let's be talking with that. Let's put that in context. <laughs> yeah, who knows? By the time the pod comes out, Messi might have been announced as a Paris Saint Germain player. Who knows? But <laughs> the thing is, when when the when it finally dawns on Barcelona, that's when they will understand what's going on at the club. Because for now, I still think a lot of them are living in denial of what's going on. Well, it feels like it's going to be happening very soon. But I want to talk about how swift negotiations has been between PSG and Messi. It felt like Messi has been talking to them for a very long time because I really don't understand how 
you leave a club and less than 24 hours later everybody knows your destination for a player with with, with a future as uncertain as Lionel Messi <laughs> well the thing about most of these deals is that first they happen very quickly and secondly there is almost often no time to waste you don't want to, to waste time before someone else jumps ahead of you there are clubs that can pay Lionel Messi's salary but there is no point jumping the queue you know and for Barcelona the funny thing was the day Messi's exit was announced that was the day his renewal was supposed to be announced yeah but because of the salary cap rule there was no way he was going to be able to be registered and so there was no way everything was actually going to follow so for Barcelona there was only one thing beg Messi to take another pay cut after he had signed a pay cut and then Messi's father got there and was like we had agreed to take a 40% pay cut now you're asking for a 70% pay cut pay cuts. there was no way they were going to do that there was no way they were going to sign that kind of deal because it now became a case of because it's messy have messy on the club and all of those kind of things and he said no i'm taking my messy elsewhere you know so that's one thing that's... <laughs> So that happened with, with Barca and then they all agreed that there was no way he would return and then we all know what happened after that. But a day before, a day before, Messi snapped a picture that was posted on Instagram. Messi was in the picture, Neymar was in the picture, Paredes Angel was, de Maria the picture, was there. Angel Di Maria was in the picture and there was one last guy in the picture, Verratti. Now, Di Maria... Paredes and Messi are all Argentinians, right? They just want the Copa America together. Neymar has been a friend of Messi for a very long time. But Verratti in that picture? I mean, Verratti is neither Argentinian, neither does he play for Barcelona, neither has he ever played with Messi. So, it begs the question, what links four of them and Messi? The other four were all by PSG. And Messi was the one who has not had a contract for about 35 days so this is this is meant to be a conspiracy theory right yeah you know one of my conspiracies <laughs> it might be true it might be true okay and then and then everyone is thinking wow why is he snapping with them you know then the news was that messi was going to renew the following day yeah so when the news broke hmm. that messi would not be renewing obviously the first place everyone's mind goes to is oh he snapped yesterday. He had been given. They snapped the a hints, picture yesterday. But we refused to see those hints. He gave the hints. We refused to see. We didn't it. see it coming. We didn't see it coming. And now it's it's like everyone has seen it coming. And personally, it's something I've I've been saying for about six months or seven months now. Because I read it somewhere where when Sergio Ramos was going to sign or was supposed to sign the new contract at Real Madrid, that he told Florentino Perez that. Paris Saint-Germain wants to make a super team with myself and Messi. And at the wow. time, Messi was running down his contract. Ramos was also running down his contract. And now, as we all know, Ramos has gone on to join Paris Saint-Germain. And at the time, it was still looking like Messi would sign a new deal. But now, Messi is probably on his way to PSG. And the first domino in the transfer market might be set to fall. Now, quick one. Javier Tebas was everywhere when Messi handed in a transfer request. But Javier Tebas has been very quiet since Barcelona announced Messi will be leaving. 
where does this leave Xavi Tebas and La Liga? Ramos left a couple of weeks back. Messi is leaving. Their Clasico looks like a, a, a battle between Ansofati and Karim Benzema right now. No disrespect to Karim Benzema anyways. <laughs> but it is what it is. Yeah, of course, it, it is what it is. I mean, throwback to 2014-2015 when we had Messi, Suarez, Neymar, Ronaldo, Bill, Benzema all together going head-to-head for the same trophies. You know, it was it was fun when, when it lasted. But then the beauty about those kind of things is that it will not be forever. And when Ronaldo left, the El Clasico shin started to wash away. And quite surprisingly, since Ronaldo left, Messi has neither scored no, assisted in the classical. Assisted in the classical, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you know, when when that starts to wear off, you know, Ronaldo left, then Bill was pushed to the side, and then Neymar left, and no, Neymar left first, and then Ronaldo left, then Bill left, then Messi left, and Suarez, uh, Suarez left. You can you can as well add left Messi. the group. Messi. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and then the group chat is getting emptied one after the other. And Benzema is shouting, and he can hear his own echo. You know, because he's the only one in the group. And where does where does La Liga go from here? But one thing about it is, La Liga, other leagues that didn't have Messi and Ronaldo, they survived. I mean, so that's what Javier Tebas has to console himself with. But one thing we cannot deny is the fact that. This summer has been a very bad summer, not only for La Liga, but for Javier Tebas. Now, on the flip side, there's a new TV deal from a major broadcaster coming up in the North Americas. And that's one thing I think Javier Tebas can really hang his head on. He's been really trying to push the league forward financially, trying to push the league forward in terms of the money, and trying to ensure that everybody gets a share of the pie. But that's going to be very, very difficult now because... Ramos is gone, Messi is gone. The two captains of the biggest sides have left. Varane has left. You know, you look across other leagues, other or you look across other teams in the league, and key players are leaving there too. So it's something that was always going to happen at some point. But now, now, Masha, well, quick one, okay. quick one, quick one. With the the TV deal or with Barca and Real Madrid taking a chunk of that TV deal. Now, with them without the biggest boys, don't you think uh, there will be a sort of paradigm shift? The, the thing about it is that no matter how big the paradigm wants to shift, Real Madrid and Barcelona would still remain the biggest boys in the league. It's just the same way with, say, a Manchester United, no matter how bad they are, because of the kind of history they've built up over the years, they will still have a large fan base. And that's what is pushing. Real Madrid right now, that fan base, that history, and that's where you can still hear links of Mbappe to Real Madrid because of the kind of history they have. Ideally, no one would leave a Paris Saint-Germain team that has Messi, that has Neymar, that has Ramos, that has Donnarumma, that has Marquinhos, Verratti, Hakimi, Di Maria, Draxler, and a host of other players to come play with Vinicius and Rodrigo. Nobody would want to do that. But because of the kind of history, that the club has. I mean, there was a time when Real Madrid and Barcelona were not this good on the global and European stage, but in their respect in the league, they were still the powerhouses. Yeah. And that was why Ronaldo was willing to leave 
a much better Man United side to play for a week at the time Real Madrid. So the the history would always be there, but that drive and that cloud might be very very difficult to come by unless another player emerges. Okay, now Mbappe has two choices staring me in the face right now. A chance to be the next poster boy of the new La Liga or yeah. remain remain with PSG and be on the fringes of a star-studded team that would go on to dominate the world maybe in the next couple of years. Mbappe is yeah, your brother, yeah. advising. <laughs> If, if I were Mbappe, it's one of two things. The first is that he wants to win the Champions League. He wants to win the Ballon d'Or. If he wins the Champions League, if he wants to win the Champions League early, he needs to stay at Paris Saint-Germain. But if he wants As it to is win, right now. As it is yeah. right now. Yeah. If he wants to win the Champions League, he has to stay at PSG. But if he wants to win the Ballon d'Or, he has to leave PSG. Because whatever would make PSG do well, we all know where the glory is going to. It's only one man and one man alone. So for Mbappe, <laughs> exactly. So for Mbappe, he has a choice to make. What does he do? Does he stick with PSG and hope to fight it out? Or does he leave them and hope to build a legacy for himself, build his own culture, build his own team and effectively push them forward? Now, those who don't watch basketball, I'll just give a brief analogy. Yannis Adedokounmpo had a choice to make last summer enter into the 2021 summer as a free agent, live in Milwaukee box, sign for a super team, win endless championships, or sign with the Milwaukee box, remain with the box, be the only man there, win one ring, or you might never win a ring. And he chose the hard choice. He decided to stay with the box and win by himself we're not forming a super team yeah. so i think for Mbappe, he has to think like yanis what do i want to do do i just want to be a part of something big where i just do my part but then i'm not really the one doing it or do i just go to a team where i know okay this is my team this is my city whatever happens i'm the one who gets to take the blame whatever happens i'm the one who gets to take the glory so that's the choice that Mbappe really has to make right now but i think all the uh, decision or all the signs points to him making just one choice. What, what was that choice? You are Mbappe's brother. You're meant to advise well, Mbappe. What was well, that we, choice? We know, we know, we know what that choice is, of course. Sign for Real Madrid. <laughs> <laughs> all right, quickly, I, I, I think we're really punching above our weight right now. But let's quickly talk about Romelu Lukaku. Romelu Lukaku, by the time this pod is out might just be a Chelsea player leaving the blue of Inter Milan to be wearing the blue of Chelsea I mean I think he's used to wearing blue he wore the blue of Chelsea wore the blue of Everton yeah. okay wore red wore red at Manchester United and I uh, wore the blue of uh, wore, Inter Milan he was striped blue at West Brom too if that counts <laughs> so and deep yeah blue at Anderlecht <laughs> yeah, it was deep blue as underlets too. So it, it looks like a man who likes blue. Maybe he would still wear the sky blue of Manchester City someday. I really don't know. <laughs> but Ruben Lukaku looks like a man that is all out to prove a point with this imminent move to Chelsea or with this yeah. move to Chelsea. 
And I, I just hope one thing though that when Chelsea eventually gets to sign Romelu Lukaku, their social media handler goes with the hashtag look back, you know, for yeah. Romelu Lukaku, you know, everything has been a, a whirlwind kind of, you know, going from Chelsea being sold to Everton, from Everton very nearly going to Chelsea but being outbid by Man United, and then from Man United going to Inter Milan, going to prove himself all over again. And coming back to Chelsea, it's kind of this Wakandan journey where he's going back to his town to fulfill the one destiny he was made for, <laughs> and all of those Arthurian shenanigans. But for, for Lukaku, it's really been a long time coming. And I feel when he's back to England, he really has a lot of doubters and naysayers that are going to be eating their words because system that Thomas Tuchel employs over there at Stamford Bridge, he would get a lot of chances, he'd get a lot of goals. And he would really be able to show the kind of improvement he has made on his game. Now, for Inter Milan, they are in a bad situation because there is every possibility that Harry Kane could also still move to Manchester, uh, Manchester City. City. And sit and Spurs might, according to what I'm hearing, go to Inter Milan for Lautaro Martinez. So, for Inter Milan, they've lost their coach, Antonio Conte, who has been replaced by... Uh, former uh, Lazio coach Simone Inzaghi. They've lost Akraf Hakimi, their right back, to Paris Saint Germain. Now they're on the verge of losing Lukaku, and could also still lose their main man, uh, one of their strikers in, in Lautaro Martinez. So for Inter Milan, yeah, they won the league, but at what cost? Because it's a very, very big cost right now. Well, yeah, like I said, I hope it's a very interesting adventure for Romelu Lukaku right there at Chelsea. Uh, we just have to end the pod on these notes. We've spent a whole lot of time and uh, it's, we're going to be hitting you up weekly. Yeah, weekly with the Scoreboard podcast. My name is Ola Olua and uh, Marshall, thanks uh, for hanging on there since. The network tried its best to... Uh, rain on our parade, but <laughs> it wasn't capable. It wasn't capable of uh, doing that. So we do this again next week. Thanks, Marshall, uh, for hanging out with me on this very first episode of the Scoreboard Podcast. Uh, thank yeah, you thank also you. to the listeners, and uh, we'll have an email where you can drop your suggestions and. Uh, where you can tell us what you feel just for feedback. And as time goes on to would have a Twitter handle uh, where you can interact with us and everything. So this is uh, just like a sitting process, just take us as we are and you're sure to enjoy uh, the best of interaction. Yeah, I mean, when I, when I talk about interaction, I mean feedback right now as uh, we go further in this. So thank you, Marshall. Uh, we'll talk again some more of the time. All right, bye-bye.